0: Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on ScoreNorth and ScoreNorth.com. Purple Daily, presented by Surly Brewing Company. You know, it, it was a good rush, and they, uh, they did a nice job. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're going to be a challenge, you know, all season long for people, and it was a good, you know, it was a test for us. And next time we face, uh, you know, starting this Sunday, we've got we've to be ready to respond.
1: That, of course, Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins, um, talking this week in the. Days leading up to the Vikings playing the Detroit Lions. Welcome into Purple Daily. Mackie is off today. Of course, we're brought to you by, um, we're presented by our friends from Surly Brewing. The Furious is delicious. I'll tell you all about it later. And also TCL uh, TV. Enjoy more. If you're watching football, you should be doing so on a TCL TV. It's a fantastic experience. All right. So the lineup today, Zolgad, executive producer, Declan Goff, as always. And joining us from NBC Sports and Climbing the Pocket, our friend Tyler And Tyler's not only going to bring you a ton of Vikings knowledge, but more importantly, as the Vikings now are struggling, he's also going to bring us some draft knowledge. We'll talk about the quarterback class. We'll talk about uh, where this draft uh, has potentially some good prospects. Tyler, though, I want to start you with this. So Thursdays, when Phil is here ordinarily, are what we call our state of the offense, state of Mm -hmm. the Vikings offense. So we talk about, we go through the stats and we talk about where things stand. And coming out of the Seahawks game, you can only imagine it was all it was all um, happy, and we talked about how great things were. Clearly, things didn't go as well on Sunday against Cleveland. So now, with the Vikings sitting at at one and three, give me your personal opinion of the state of the Vikings'
0: offense as we speak right now. I think the big thing with the state of the Vikings' offense is it's a roller coaster, and I think a lot of that has to do with offensive coordinator Clint Kubiak. Like We should have really seen this coming uh, as we continue to move forward throughout the season. It's the first time he's ever really called plays. And because it's the first time he's ever called plays, and he doesn't really have like a North Turner or a Pat Shermer or even his dad, Gary Kubiak, type next to him to kind of help guide him through some of the ups and downs, the peaks and valleys. We're, that's why we saw yesterday on Sunday against the Cleveland Browns be as rough as it was. The lack of in-game adjustments from the offense was tough. And he needs somebody there with him. And I. it's really tough that somebody like Mike Zimmer, who came into this team wanting to surround himself with head coaches because he's never been one before, didn't think about doing the same for Clint Hoop yet.
1: But he knew that. That's the thing is he knew that. Like he, he knew that Clint was was raw in this job and had never done this job. I don't think he's ever called plays in high school or college. Mm-hmm. So – it, but here so here's the telltale to me tyler fornis against good teams okay uh because the seahawks defense is not good so like the the vikings were impressive but they were doing it against a defense that was not good and in fact i expect them and we can certainly talk about this they have plenty of success on sunday against detroit um but against cleveland here's what i'm seeing against good teams the script is phenomenal The scripted Mm -hmm. plays are great. Like, you're like, oh, my God, is this a future head coach? Glint Kubiak. Uh, But what we saw last week was once the script was done, it was a different ballgame. And so I'm with you. I'm sort of confused about what the thought process was in not finding a mentor, because even Stefanski, who's proved to be really good, even Mm -hmm. Kevin Stefanski had a mentor right there to help him out.
0: Absolutely. And the lack of a mentor, I think, is the biggest thing that when you saw the progression of the Cleveland game, as you said, the scripted plays were great. We marched down the field. We ran off half of the first quarter. Everything seemed to be going good. You get that first stop against Cleveland in the red zone, at sack on Baker Mayfield. Man, we're flying high. It feels great. But they never really continued that momentum. And the lack of in-game adjustments with the pass rush of Judavian Clowney and Miles Garrett, the, there wasn't any kind of consistent, hey, we know our tackles are struggling. We need to help them. We need to move the pocket. We need to run play action. We need to maybe run some draws so to draw them upfield and then take advantage on the inside. We didn't really see a lot of that. And I think if you have a mentor there for Clint Kubiak, that's where you're going to start to really see some of that develop as he continues to learn on the fly.
2: Tyler, do you feel like, too, that this offense isn't just Gary Kubiak 2.0? Is it is it, is it just... Clint Kubiak taking his dad's philosophies and making it the same thing, or do you feel like he's also trending and making his own stamp on this offense, or do you just feel like it's just the same Kubiak offense we've seen for the better part of of since last since last season in twenty twenty?
0: I think the best way to describe this offense is taking John D. Filippo twenty eighteen and, and merging it with Gary Kubiak twenty twenty yep. because Clint worked under a lot of different people. Uh, I think what was it five years ago? He was a wide receiver coach at Kansas, where they were running the spread. And when you learn from all these different people and different philosophies, when you put together your own playbook, you merge everything together. So that's why you're seeing a lot of wide zone concepts. That's why you're seeing a lot of, like, spread them out spacing, and you're not seeing a lot of deep shots. When you think about all that, and then combine with Mike Zimmer's philosophy of try to play it a little bit more on the safe side, that's what we're really seeing with Clint Kubiak.
1: What do you like and what don't you like? Like As far as the things that have been at least moderately successful. So so what do you see offensively uh, that differs from what Gary did that you like? And what do you think that Clint should possibly go back to a little bit more, such as play action, which he has largely abandoned compared to what we saw previously?
0: I think when you talk about what the Vikings have done so far well this year, it's the first half. The first half, this team has been fantastic. You're talking about one of the best EPAs in the National Football League. Kirk Cousins is just on fire. You're letting him be Kirk. You're letting him sit back there and and just take everything for what it is. Hey, we got Justin Jefferson on a little eight-yard slant route. Perfect. You're just letting him cook, letting him spread the ball all over the field. You're mixing in some of the running game. Everything feels natural and organic. Then you get to the second half. Everything feels forced. It, you're kind of reverting back to some of the negative things that we continue to see throughout the course of Mike Zimmer's tenure. Second and long runs. When are we going to stop second and long runs? <laughs> they're never going to stop it. But here's never. the thing. They're, they're stopping in the first half, and they're continuing in the second. That's what doesn't yeah. make any sense. It feels like Zimmer's telling him at halftime to revert back to the mean, and that's where you're seeing a lot of these issues.
2: T- Tyler, too, do you think, right, is, is Clint Kubiak – the best kind of offensive coordinator for Kirk, at least in his Vikings tenure, you know, like Judd and Mackey and I have, uh, or at least mostly Phil and Judd, I should say, have been discussing if if you put Kirk like in the Shanahan offense in San Francisco, or if you gave him obviously Sean McVay or someone who was just like this offensive guru, would he be thriving even more? And I think obviously the, the natural answer is, of course, yes, those guys are some of the best play callers in the league, but obviously, you know, Kirk has had Kevin Stefanski, he's had Gary, he's had, now he's had Clint. Um, obviously D Filippo two in twenty eighteen. Is is Clint Kubiak so far, and I know it's only been four games, but is he the best offensive coordinator that is for Kirk at least in his Vikings tenure?
0: I'm gonna be honest, I don't know that answer yet, and I don't think we're really gonna know that answer yet until we get a much larger sample size. Especially, I'd say these next eight games are really gonna be a telltale sign because Clint finally has like the first four games under his belt. He's gonna have some confidence, he's gonna understand a little bit more with his play call structure. And he's, and especially after the bye, they're going to be able to sit down and really look in-depth at that, try and figure out what is working with this new offense, what is not, how he calls plays and how he game scripts throughout the entire game. And then once we really start to understand who Clint is going to be as a play caller, we can make that assumption. But as of right now, I would take Kirk with Shanahan or McVay easily over Kubiak. I just, because I don't know what Kubiak is. I don't know if he's going to be great. I don't know if he's going to be bad. It's it's just a, a really big unknown but they have to start getting back to some of the things that makes Kirk great utilize moving the pocket, play action, bootlegs, (laughs) uh, max protect deep shots, like do all these different things that made Kirk successful. I like that. They're trying to branch out and do other things, but if you're not trying to continue to do what has made Kirk successful in the past, I think you're doing yourself and your team a disservice.
1: And that's the, so that, so not to bash Kirk. Okay. Just to be clear viewers, listeners, I'm not bashing Kirk, okay? I'll preface it by saying that. But that Tyler, what you just brought up to me is one of the most interesting things about Kirk. If we could just take a step back and be impartial in this discussion instead of being passionate about I hate Kirk cousins or Kirk cousins is going to Canton. If we take a step back, what you said is so interesting um because and this is true of more than one QB. But what you're basically saying is Kirk needs to be a, a tricked out car. Like, you need to have – you need to get the bells and whistles to Kirk. Like, Kirk, you can't just say, Kirk, go play. Some guys can go play. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs to have all – and and so it's a fine line. And where I actually – I've gotten to a point now uh, where I feel for his OCs because they're – first of all, I'm sure initially a lot of them, including is, uh is the first guy on this list easily he looked at Kirk's salary and he's like, "This is a great quarterback. You, you clearly gave me a great quarterback. So we are going to go and we're going to beat teams uh, behind a great QB. And Kirk failed miserably because he's not a great quarterback. He's a good one, but he's not a great mm-hmm. one. So that blew up completely. Uh, John gets fired with what three games left. Mm-hmm. And then the Stefanski, Gary Kubiak regime came in and they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to give, you know, five principles here of what Kirk does well. And we're going to try and milk those fairly successfully. And they did. And now Clint's doing some stuff I love, and there is some stuff I think Kirk can do, but he also is very interestingly taking away some of the things that we saw Kirk succeed in a lot. And what's the, what's the absolute key to this entire league? The key is everybody does nothing but grind film, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if Kirk's successful in week one and two, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is a great, great idea,"s um, by week six, it's going to be countered. Now, it now if Kirk's great, it won't be stopped. But if Kirk is just good, it will be stopped. So, this is where this is where I think for the OCs, it's a very difficult game of sort of saying um, Kirk is really good at making right turns. Kirk is really, but if we try turning left, going be a problem. And that's where you where I think you got to go back to some of the things he does well. Incorporate some things that you like and that he can do. But if, it's, but if it's something where a team figures it out defensively, I think it's going to be very tough unless he thrives at that skill to continue it consistently for an entire season and certainly into
0: 2022 possibly. No, 100%. And one thing that's really frustrating about, frustrated me about this season's play calling is you're not trying to maximize Kirk Cousins. Any a good offensive coordinator, no matter what kind of quarterback you are like Tom Brady, for example, Tom Brady, you don't want to run a lot of play action bootlegs because it doesn't make sense for who Tom Brady is. It doesn't. It's not where he wins. So you want to maximize the player that you have in front of you. And it doesn't feel like we're really doing that. The stats are great. When you look at them on paper, as far as like the completion percentage, the yards, the touchdown interception ratio, they're all very good. And you can't deny any of that. But when you take a look at the film, when you look at average depth of target, when you look at EPA per play, QBR, it, Kirk Cousins is not exactly what you would call super high in any of those metrics. You have to really try to maximize who Kirk Cousins is, balance out the running game with it. And Dalvin Cook being hurt has not helped. But you have to maximize your quarterback however you need to do that. The, I don't think the Ravens want to run Lamar Jackson 15, 20 times a game because he's, he's your franchise. But at the same time, that's what he does best. That's how you're going to try and utilize him the best because you need to win football games to try and win a title.
2: Tyler, too, like if Dalvin Cook can't play on Sunday, and by the way, it's I know he wants to play. He's playing through this injury. He's trying to push towards it. But like you're, you're, you are playing to the Detroit Lions. It just seems like, to me, if just to rest Dalvin Cook would be like the best possible situation for the Vikings on Sunday because there's really no need to, to rush him back on the field. And he's a dynamic running back. There's no doubt about that. But in Seattle, when Alexander Madison, you know, basically runs for 120 yards, he catches the ball a lot with a bunch of screens. It feels like why wouldn't you just utilize Alexander Madison again on Sunday? Let Dalvin Cook kind of get that ankle right because obviously out of the bye, I mean, you got a gauntlet of a schedule. Like, is Alexander Madison can can he at least get more of those touches? Because his rookie season, it felt like to me, Tyler, like he was utilized a lot more effectively. His yards and and, and his his rookie and sophomore season are nearly identical in terms of statistics, but it felt like his rookie year, he was utilized better. Can he still be that running back and still be a player and effective in this kind of offense when Dalvin Cook has to sit out?
0: I think it could be, but I also think we need to take a look at kind of the whole scope of the Minnesota Vikings. I don't think Dalvin Cook is sitting out this game because you have to win. This team is in a position at one and three and with the regime really on the hot seat where they have to win. And because of that, you got to play Dalvin Cook. You're playing a Detroit Lions team that is 0-4, that uh, like everything that their coach says, they fight. They bite kneecaps. They absolutely (laughs) grind it out. It's going to feel like a 1990s black and blue division game. And I'll be honest, the Vikings should easily win this game on paper, but they need to be careful because this also suits up for a big trap game for them.
1: Okay, here's why I think Cook should sit. Number one. With or without him, if you can't beat Detroit, you're screwed. Like, like they don't have it's. If you were going from Dalvin Cook to take your pick, Mike Boone back in the day, Mm -hmm. uh, I'd be like, okay, that's a big drop off. Alexander Madison's a nice player. Is he Dalvin Cook? No, but this is the type of, of game, and Detroit is worse than Seattle is. That you can put the ball in Kirk's hands. You got Jefferson. You got Thielen. You got Conklin. You got Madison. Uh, you should win. If you can't win this game without Cook, you're done. Mike is probably done. Mike is probably fired at the bye week. Uh, the sec- but, Tyler, the second thing is, is this, and I talked about this with Dex on Mackie and Judd before he joined us for Purple Daily. The other thing is this one. When Dalvin Cook got the extension, Mackie and I, and I think Dex at, at the time, and I'm not sure what your opinion was, had cautioned about that. Not because we don't think he's a marvelous player. I think he's a great talent but because you know as I said if you were to buy Dalvin Cook at Target the box comes with a warning that says warning this player will be probably missed two to three games per season and he will be dinged up severely for probably three or four more so you're going to have to sit him at times I mean that was what we were talking about at least mm-hmm. when I said I would caution against signing him it wasn't People thought, "Oh, do you can't not have Dalvin Cook? No, you can, but know the price." And I say that to the people with the Vikings because that's what they have to accept. So I would actually sit him because if you can't beat Detroit, bleep it. Um, because the gauntlet of games that Dex talked about coming out of the buy, this notion of he can't do more damage to a sprained ankle is ridiculous. I'm not a doctor, and I know that uh, he clearly did did more damage against Cleveland because he didn't play for an extended period of time in the third into the fourth quarter. So that's why I would sit him. The one guy that I would play for sure against Detroit, though, and I think this has become an absolute must, and I know there's jobs at stake here, but that's their fault, not mine. I would start Christian Derisaw at left tackle. This Rashad Hill thing has to end. Um, it, it, it was a temporary, it was chewing gum on the dike. Uh, it it's bursting through now. the water is coming through. I think Christian Darrisa you have to play him he's a first round pick if he can play Rashad Hill is a backup and he's not a particularly great one he's a he, he's a reliable one who I think is a good teammate uh, so there's two things there where I think you have to just say if we can't beat detroit we're we're toast we're all toast that's my opinion.
0: See, I agree with you. I just think the Vikings will end up playing Dalvin Cook, which is why I mentioned that. Um, also, you, you got to start Derrisa. And if Derrisa is ready, you got to let him just grow. And yep. you drafted him to be your starting left tackle. Rashad Hill obviously is not it. And it was on display against Miles Garrett, who ate him for lunch and then heated up the leftovers <laughs> and ate again. <laughs> It's all right. Like, it's not funny, but it is. Yeah, uh, if Derisaw's healthy and he's ready to go, let him go out there and learn. Get oh some chip God. blocks, which they didn't do for Rashad Hill that often, which was incredibly frustrating. How, How did they I, not do that? I don't know, but that was the biggest takeaway I had in the second half. You're getting taken to the cleaners, play in and play out, and there was no adjustments to help chip out for those tackles. What
1: did they do against Chandler Jones then in week two? Because they, they did a, a very sufficient job. I don't think... Because he had five sacks in week one, I think, against the Titans. And then if I'm not mistaken, he had zero sacks against the Vikings in week two. So what did they do against Chandler Jones, who's a really good player, that they completely failed to do against Cleveland and Garrett?
0: I think it was a combination of getting the ball out quicker. They did do a little bit of chipping, but the offensive line just played with much better cohesion. And the interior of that defensive line for the Cardinals played much worse than the interior for the Cleveland Browns. Malik McDowell was a second-round pick from Seattle back in what 2017. Who got in an ATV accident right before training camp and never played a snap for the Seahawks. So that's it, that's kind of a cool little story. But he was forklifting Bradbury. Like sometimes, like the defensive line is similar to the offensive line. If you don't have four good players and you have two real weak links, you can just focus on the really good guys and prevent pressures.
2: Tyler, it's so easy for us. I think after drafts and in drafts to, to get really hyped up over a draft class. And it, it felt like after at least day was one and two, especially that the Vikings had a great draft. They found their tackle. They found a guard. They potentially found a succession success, succession plan at quarterback and Kellen Mond. But now through four games, the Vikings have had the least amount of snaps with their rookies. And by, by far what just nine snaps that rookies have played through four games, the next closest team with the Seahawks, at least at 45 or so, I, did, do we just, is this as classic people sometimes overvaluating and getting too hyped up over a draft class, or is it a lot more at play? Because the Vikings not playing this rookie class, I think, is just a complete shell shocker through the first four games of the season.
0: I, I agree, Dex. And I think it's a layered conversation. I, I was very frustrated because this team was preparing for this offseason to win now. And that was kind of the whole mantra. We are trying to win this year. Then when you look at the draft class it, with your first five picks, you projected to have a starting left tackle a starting right guard, a linebacker who could come in and play a little bit, even though he was a project, and a rotational defensive end that could compete for your starting defensive end spot. To see all those guys with Amir Smith-Marset, who's been playing special teams, to only have a total of nine snaps just feels like a complete mismanagement of the offseason. Now, at the same time, their draft strategy was weird too because they took multiple projects in the third round well, when your strategy is we want to win this year, but you're taking all these projects, you're kind of contradicting yourself. And it's, it's very difficult to not want to drink the Kool-Aid in April when we're like, oh my gosh, this draft class is really hyped. Well, on the climbing the pocket stream, I was very disappointed with almost every third round pick <laughs> because at every spot I would have taken somebody different and better. I would have moved up to get Creed Humphreys dominating for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs in the second round. Yeah. But that's all revisionist history. You, you, it's, you got to just remember the game is played on Sundays. You have to fix things in the off season, but we have to be careful to not drink the Kool-Aid.
1: And that draft in some ways does demonstrate the disconnect between the head coach and GM, because I think that, I think like with a lot of things, Rick and Mike sort of split things. It's like, we need this. And then Rick's like, but we got to build. And then Mike's like, no, we need to win. And Rick says, but we got to build. And so I think that's where there's a disconnect that leads to to taking a former college quarterback who you're going to or who is turned into a linebacker. And you're like, what? What's that pick? Um, The Wyatt Davis one, uh, Tyler, is the one that I'm going to call BS on in in this way. They expected him to start Mm -hmm. like there is no question. You can go back with, well, he's a rookie. We don't know what's going to happen. When they took Derrissaw and Wyatt Davis, I think they would have told you back then, we'll be disappointed if they're both not starting week one. Davis, my understanding was showed up a little bit hefty into mini camp or into the off-season camps, disappointed them. Uh, Mike being Mike got mad about it. And then he, in training camp, just got completely buried. But that's the third-round pick that I think is an unforgivable sin because I really think that he was supposed to be, to, to your point, he was supposed to be a plug-and-play guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that because Ole Udo was a tackle till right before training camp started. And they moved him, I think, out of blind panic. They're, they're like, what are we going to do if we're not going to play? If we're not going to play Wyatt Davis in week one at right guard, and they're like, let's move this guy. And you don't just move. I mean, he Ole, to his credit, has been good against most teams. But when he faces a front like Cleveland's, he's going to struggle because he's never played guard till this year. So the Wyatt Davis one is where I have a real problem with what their expectation was and, and how hard it looks like for right now with a plug and play guy, they swung and missed for now.
0: I agree. Uh, The Wyatt Davis thing, I think some of the conditioning and stuff had to do with that knee injury. He suffered in 2019 re-aggravated it in the college football playoff. But even so, like, (sighs) it's it's really tough to hey i had this expectation like we're going to draft this guy third round starting guard is not not increasingly normal but it's also not like oh my gosh you're expecting a third rounder to start right no it's a guard putting a day 2 guard in on day 1 is relatively fine in a vacuum and to have him to have the off season and start of the season which he did it at this point it feels like a waste but we have a long way to go to really consider that pick a mistake or a waste of a selection
2: uh tyler i feel like also you know when they drafted kellen mond like that was just th- this overhype of oh my god they actually took a chance on a quarterback here he was a prolific player at texas a&m and then you know the, the body of work started coming out that hey this is going to be a project and i think even after the excitement of the pick we all we all still knew everyone that still knew everyone still knew that the- that Kirk cousins is the quarterback for 2021 there, there's gonna be no you know heat in training camp or no, nothing like that but I also feel like it's just been so quiet on the Kellen Mond front too like is it just going to be a slow bake until this guy is possibly ready to be a, a starting quarterback like is it going to be even I don't mean I hate to use this comparison but like a Jordan Love plan where it might be like two years before he's really ready to potentially be a starting quarterback in the NFL
0: I think he kind of hit it with the Jordan Love thing. I genuinely don't know if Kalamon is ever going to be a starting caliber quarterback in the national football league. You see things on tape where, oh my gosh, this guy's got it. This guy has the ability to make all the throws. He can run, he can move and create off structure. But then you see games where he just collapses and he just really can't do anything and he can't utilize his progressions. I genuinely think he needs a lot of work and you saw it like his, uh, mechanics at uh florida state and james winston had some similar stuff because i think it's a jimbo fisher thing and aaron Rodgers, when he came out he held his football so close to his face and now it's just loosey-goosey you have to be able to coach some of that out of him because it just looks like he's the Tin Man in the Wizard of Oz and needs oil in all his joints.
1: And here's the problem right now. This might change in 2022. Do you trust the Vikings' current offensive staff and entire staff to do that? Because that's my thing. Like, like at first, I thought, you know, this Mac Jones looks really good. The Vikings passed on, on Mac Jones. What were they thinking? Like, this would have been a great pick. And then I gave him more thought. And I said to myself, Judd, use some common sense here. Do you trust that the Minnesota Vikings could do what Josh McDaniels can do? Do you trust that the Vikings? So if Kellen Mond, you know, let's say, Tyler, he's 50-50. 50% 50 chance he's a starter? 50% chance he's Christian Ponder. I don't know that you have the right staff in place here to develop him. I really don't.
0: I think that's a tough one because you're 100% spot on. It's a big question mark. Um, The Matt Jones thing? I have major reservations about Mac Jones, and I actually thought Kellen Mond was a better quarterback coming out than Mac Jones. So, kind of take that with a grain of salt. Mac Jones threw, to, threw a ton of wide open windows. Judd, you would have made some of those throws at Alabama. It, it's insane oh, okay. how wide open some of have. those were. Declan might have. But, <laughs> I okay. wouldn't have. i so too Dex, old. Dex would have made some of those throws, but he's uh, when you look at his average at the target and stuff against that Tampa Bay, like everything was short. The one deep pass he threw, 20 plus yards, was intercepted. Yeah. But, uh, you know, with Kellen Mott, I think you're right. This coaching staff that hasn't really shown anything that they can or that they have the ability to. But I also think that there's that chance because they haven't shown that they're an absolute failure in that area because we haven't seen them try to develop a quarterback. So I'm really interested to see. And I'll tell you this, the preseason, I saw Kellen Mond a little looser, a little more fluid with his mechanics. Yep. So that gives me some hope. I just hope that they can continue that. And then whenever Kellen Mond gets a chance, he thrives.
1: Let's talk draft here. But before we do that, gentlemen, you know what? I want to talk number one draft picks. And when you're talking about your number one draft pick, it's it's not hard. It's Surly. Surly Furious IPA. That's right. Minnesota's favorite IPA. The problem with sports fans, Vikings fans, Wolves fans, Twins fans, take your pick. We do enough settling in life. Crack open a Surly Furious. Enjoy the IPA that revolutionized Minnesota craft beer. Don't settle get surly, and if the Vikings lose to the Lions, you'll be very surly, and you'll need plenty of my favorite IPA. All right, Tyler Fornes, so um, there's two things that are g- going to happen if the Vikings don't win on Sunday. Zimmer is probably fired at the bye, because if they don't win on Sunday, they're probably almost certainly not going to win against the Panthers. But we are also all going to uh, flock to you to start asking one question. How deep's this draft? How good is this draft? Are there quarterbacks in th- this draft? This is a subject that you follow incredibly closely. So tell me, so far, your your thoughts on this draft class and the potential for it, if the Vikings especially aren't good and are drafting high, uh, to turn the page and restock themselves a bit.
0: Well, I'll say this real quick. If Zimmer ends up keeping his job, this is a draft where the Vikings are going to go quarterback. Cornerback early, because it is loaded at the top you're talking about five or six guys who go first round um quarterback is a little interesting there is no alpha there is no trevor lawrence there is no trey Lance. there is no justin fields there's a bunch of guys who could become zach wilson uh you talk about matt corral from ole miss who yet yeah, kind of reminds me of a more mobile more fluid brett Favre. doesn't quite have the cannon but he has all the cojones, and he thinks he can make every single throw, and he's pinpoint accurate. He's got a beautiful deep ball, can throw on the move. But in 2020, he had 12 total interceptions. Eleven of them came in two games against Texas A&M and against Arkansas. So Matt Corral is a very interesting one. Um, Spencer Rattler out of Oklahoma hasn't really taken that next step we all thought, but man, does he have a cannon, and can he throw on the move? If he can make some steps throughout the course of the rest of the season, a lot of people had him as QB1 going into the year. We'll see if he can kind of hold that up. Carson Strong out of Nevada, it it reminds me a lot of Ben Roethlisberger. He is a tall pocket passer, but he's very savvy with his movements in the pocket. And he can maneuver uh, and weave his way around pressure, but he's not going to be able to win with his feet. He can make all the throws. Deep ball needs a little work, but he's got an arm to be able to do it. The last guy to really look for, and then I'll give you a sleeper as well, Liberty's Malik Willis. He's the closest thing to Lamar Jackson. He has in- – He's insane arm talent, but he needs to figure out his mechanics a little bit. He needs to work within structure, stay comfortable in the pocket, and he, if you work with him and develop those things, he could be the best quarterback in the National Football League. And the sleeper is somebody that has gotten a lot of hype over the last few weeks. His name is Jake Hayner, quarterback out of Fresno State. If you watch some of like the Pac-12 After Dark and those kind of games and stay up till 2 a.m. like I do, (laughs) it's it's a he's a really really good player. If you remember Byron Leftwich when he was at Marshall, he had Mm -hmm. a game where his off he broke his leg and his offensive linemen were carrying him down. Yeah, he had like I think it was a dislocated hip against UCLA, threw the go-ahead touchdown and then came back on the field and led the game-winning drive. And every play, he was just slinging it, absolute darts. And he was just grabbing his hip after every throw. He's got all the guts. He's got the talent. He Needs to work on his decision making a little bit. But this class doesn't have a lot of alphas. It has a lot of betas that could become alphas. So it's going to be really interesting to follow throughout the course of the rest of the season.
2: Tyler, too, keeping it local. I, I mean, th- this go for offense, and that, that's a nif- different discussion in its own right uh, for state of the, state of any offense. But obviously, that offensive line is damn good, and and it's and it's and it's, and it's older. And it's, and it's very experienced. Do you see any Gopher linemen getting drafted and potentially even high in, in the draft this year? I mean, I know a lot of Vikings fans are conditioned. When you say cornerback going early, mm-hmm. and a lot of Vikings fans would obviously despise that, but also this Gopher's offensive line looks damn good. Um, do you see any potential NFL draftees coming out of the University of Minnesota this year?
0: I think you could talk uh, total draft picks. You could probably talk about three to seven. And on that offensive line alone, you're probably, Daniel Falele is going to go probably top 60, especially with the weight he lost and how good he has looked so far this year. Somebody's going to take him. He just screams Baltimore Ravens to me. Just put him at right tackle and just let him road grade people. Uh, Dunlap Jr. could also be a late round pick. Blaise Andres. uh, Ibrahim, depending on uh, how that Achilles heals and if he wants to come out, he could be be a fifth round kind of guy. Uh, Boye Mafé, has like all the tools that Daniil Hunter did, uh, same kind of athletic profile. So he could be a guy that you see like round three, round four, and somebody wants to turn him into that kind of project. Uh, And Chris Ottman bell Ottman bell in another good receiver class could easily go early day three. And there are a lot of guys who could be drafted and it just makes it even more disappointing that the offense doesn't trust Tanner Morgan to throw the football.
1: Not one bit. Um. So get, Give me the three, the three position groups right now that you think are the strongest in, in this draft. I'll assume that cornerback is at least one of them.
0: Cornerback is one. Yep. Edge is another. And then the third one is probably wide receiver again. This wide receiver class is really, really good. Interesting.
1: Uh, so g- give me the top three re- receivers.
0: Top three receivers. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's probably about five or six that you're going to see sprinkled in there. Uh, kind of how I have them right now. I have uh Chris Olave from Ohio State at 1, Drake London USC at 2, mm-hmm. and then uh probably Traylon Burks Arkansas at 3, and then you could talk about Gary Wilson from uh Ohio State as well in that mix. And if you rated them anywhere 1 to 4, I think you'd be sitting pretty good. It's a really good group.
1: Tyler great stuff. Thanks a ton. We'll have have you back on soon, I'm sure, as especially if the Vikings are are bad, like we are going to turn our attention to the draft in about mid-November
0: mm-hmm.
1: or earlier. So it's just, um, yeah, beat Detroit, get Dalvin healthy, <laughs> and 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 offensively, go beyond the script. How about that for three things? Go Absolutely. beyond the script, Clint Kubiak. You know, the script's great, but once you're done with the script, find a-, a way. Now, I think you can do that against Detroit. My main concern is against good teams, which you're going to face a bunch. Mm-hmm. Coming out the by, Tyler... Thanks much. Catch your work at NBC Sports and also Climbing the Pocket. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank
2: you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, right. Tyler.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Tyler Fornis with some great stuff. I love the draft stuff because it's going to become incredibly important.
2: What, what did we, we did, we were doing mock draft season hella early last year. I mean, we, we, we were, well,
1: you can't, you got to,
2: I was quarantined. So I, I, I had nothing to do for five. a week. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, exactly. We're going to be doing a lot more. I think mock draft season, maybe even earlier than just just as early as we did in 2020.
1: So, you know what Dex, mm-hmm. this draft might be a big one for the Vikings and there's going to be a ton of pressure and, and mm-hmm. the front office staff, for the Vikings going to be stuck in the same room for a long time, drafting players and grinding. And there's going to be a lot of heat from the pressure. Yep. You know what they all need? Hmm. They all need a pair of chill boys. They do need a pair of chill boys. Chill boys, the most comfortable boxers, life-changing. That's my statement for it. It Life-changing boxer experiment. Declan Goff is exhibit a, a man who before we started all, all wearing separate pairs, of course, of chill boys, Said, I don't really like boxers that much.
2: I don't like briefs. And then what happened? I don't like briefs, right? And oh, briefs. And, and and chill boys are mostly briefs. I don't I don't like briefs. But these are like the the dual threat quarterback version of 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 boxers. Okay, that this 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 can stand in the pocket. It keeps you nice and calm in the pocket. But when you need to roll out of the pocket, okay, and you need to get in 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 uh, get in a bootleg or scramble out to the right or left. You're right. Chill boys right. are perfect. perfect. It's changed my complex. I thought you just had to be a very in the pocket quarterback. I thought it just had to be Drew Brees. I just had to stick no. there in the pocket no. and throw some darts. No, no, no. The, no. New, the new quarterbacks go all over the place. That's what Chill Boys are. Yeah, the, the best performing underwear, bamboo fabric, performance brand, and also now that it's getting colder out, the long underwear too, Judd. Chill Boys, get your pair today.
1: And the most important thing is their, their biggest goal, their primary concern is you and your comfort, and they come through and deliver. All right, we're done. Uh, Mackie back tomorrow in tow. We'll have um, four question Friday. Yeah. We'll have plenty more as we preview and talk about. I'm sure we'll we'll discuss the state of the Detroit Lions offensive line, which, by the way, is a mess. Put Daniel Hunter on three sacks for me. Thank you very much. He's Declan. I'm Judd. Also, thanks to Tyler Fornes for joining us from NBC Sports and Climbing the Pocket. Great discussion. We'll talk to you later. The South Dakota Stories volume two. I could see beyond the black
0: hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water
1: ran for miles and the way the bison grazed, the way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota and
0: I wish to go back because there's so much South Dakota, so little time.